This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. A new book of poetry by an Appalachian writer is coming out swinging. And he's not talking about messing with live animals. I don't want to just poke the bear. I want to rip the blanket off of it and knock the door off of its hibernation den and force it to see what it's doing. That story and more coming up this West Virginia Morning. Support for West Virginia Morning is proudly provided by Luke Frazier. A federal judge has held a coal company owned by the Justice family in civil contempt. Curtis Tate has more. Southern Coal did not comply with the September court order to repay a Charleston insurance company more than $500,000 in workers' compensation claims. So Judge Elizabeth Dillon of the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Virginia earlier this week gave Southern Coal seven days to repay Brick Street Mutual Insurance. After that, Southern Coal will have to pay a penalty of $2,500 for every day it does not comply. Southern Coal is one of numerous companies the Justice family owns. Southern Coal argued that it was unable to comply with the court's September order because the company is insolvent. Dillon noted in her ruling that Southern Coal had provided no evidence that it had no ability to repay Brick Street other than simply saying it couldn't. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Curtis Tate in Charleston. A bill raising penalties for indecent exposure quickly passed the Senate last month. But as Jack Walker reports, it stirred confusion in a House committee Thursday. Senate Bill 160 would allow for stiffer penalties for repeated indecent exposure. But the House Judiciary Committee raised concerns over changing policies cemented through decades of case law. Concerns only grew as lawmakers raised amendments widening definitions of nudity and sexual acts. Delegate Rick Hillenbrand, a Republican from Hampshire County, worried these changes took the bill in the wrong direction. This is just getting worse and worse and worse. We're, we're, we're in a hole so deep we need a bigger shovel. Lawmakers later changed course, passing the initial Senate bill with only one amendment, noting that breastfeeding is not indecent exposure. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Jack Walker in Charleston. West Virginia has taken another step to improving broadband access for all. Chris Schultz has more. West Virginia is one of four states, as well as Puerto Rico, to have its digital equity plan accepted by the Department of Commerce's National Telecommunications and Information Administration. Acceptance of the plan will allow West Virginia to access the $1.4 billion Digital Equity Capacity Grant Program when it launches in the coming months. According to the West Virginia Broadband Enhancement Council, more than a third of all West Virginians do not have access to high-speed Internet, and many of those with access cannot afford the price of a connection or face other barriers to effectively use the Internet. The Digital Equity Plan proposes to realize affordable connectivity for all West Virginians, secure device access and affordability, as well as improve the population's digital skills. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Chris Schultz in Morgantown. Willie Carver was a con- was Kentucky's Teacher of the Year in 2021. But as a gay man, he and some of his students were harassed. So in 2022, he resigned from Montgomery County High School. Last summer, he released Gay Poems for Red States. The book earned praise and helped turn Carver into a much-followed, outspoken voice on social media. Inside Appalachia's Bill Lynch recently caught up with Carver. Gay Poems for Red States, it's, it's a catchy title, but I would say right now the climate for LGBTQ people in Appalachia is, uh, is difficult, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're trans. 
So it kind of feels like were you maybe kind of poking the bear a little bit with it? I, I don't want to just poke the bear. I want to rip the blanket off of it and knock the door off of its hibernation den and force it to see what it's doing. A lot of what happens, and I say this as someone who is queer and Appalachian, is we we want to create easy national categories for people who can't be put into those things. And so I am just as much Appalachian as I am queer. And to choose my queerness as a general rule in the United States is what, to move to a coastal city and then look down on the ignorant red state people. And I think to choose my Appalachian-ness sometimes would be to see those highfalutin city folks as uninterested in my life. And I, my this title was my way of saying I reject both of those. I'm going to be exactly what I am. And uh, I want you to recognize me doing it. I want I want both stereotypes to see me doing it and question their role and why I'm having to poke. Two bears, really. You've lived outside of Appalachia. What was that like to kind of be an Appalachian away and looking back in? So the funny thing is my first place, the first place I moved to outside of Eastern Kentucky was France. I lived in Picardie, which is, it's in the far north. Uh, there used to be a lot of coal mines. Those have shut down. So now there's a lot of poverty, regional accents and traditional know-how that people sort of share with each other to get by. I was so at home. <laughs> I was like, I might as well be in Appalachia. Uh, and then I moved to the deep south uh, and I learned that Appalachia is not the South. Uh, I mean, it, it is some version of it, some whatever uh, metaphor people want to use to describe that relationship. But the humor of Appalachia doesn't translate easily into the suburban South, at least. Um, I think the uh, free spirit and the not taking stuff too seriously part of Appalachia doesn't translate itself very well. The South. I lived in Vermont. It's beautiful. It's where I got married. I will always be grateful for that. But it was there that I really saw played out with my, me being in the middle of it, this sort of ignorance about people from Appalachia, people from the South, people from rural places in the mouths of supposedly progressive people, people questioning my intelligence, people making these assumptions that I must have had to escape some horrific place. I must be so grateful because everything is better. I said something online that uh, angered a lot of people. So that must mean I must have said something close to the truth. Someone had questioned me and said, why would a queer person choose to live in Appalachia? I just don't understand. And I said, because it will be easier for me to convince Appalachians to treat me with dignity as an LGBTQ person than to convince coastal liberals to treat me as an Appalachian person with dignity. And I think because we sort of collectively as a country group Appalachian people into a political group, no one feels any guilt about the the way they treat people with stereotypes. So I learned uh, living outside of Appalachia, how Appalachian I am, um, and two, that the parts of me can't be divided away for anyone's benefit. This book comes out after, well, everything that happened in 2022. So how far do you go back as far as poetry? Were you writing before then or did it the catalysts of, you know, being teacher of the year in Kentucky and then, you know, leaving your job, which came first, I guess. Poetry came way first. Um, I was always interested in language, uh, interested in how my family communicated ideas. I would, I've been obsessed with linguistics my entire life, but I, I would hear the poetry and how people talked and wanted to replicate it, wanted to capture it. And in college, I had fantastic professors. I credit them with helping me learn to feel like I was a poet. Once I became a teacher, 
I basically wrote for my students. That was what it looked like. Uh, so I wasn't writing to publish or anything like that. I really conceived of myself as a teacher. I go into the classroom and whatever my students need, it's for them. Whatever I'm doing outside of the classroom is really died back to my classroom. So I wasn't thinking about writing. But then once I left the classroom, I felt this strong need to do what I'd always been doing, which is help students. It's almost like um, like a parent watching their kids and the parent is actively trying to take care of them. And then you're sort of pulled away and you're like, how do I take care of them? Right. And in this case, that may be reminding them how strong they are. And so poetry was a, a natural way to do that. That was poet Willie Carver speaking with Inside Appalachia's Bill Lynch. To hear the rest of that interview and more, listen to Inside Appalachia. Sunday mornings at 7 and Sunday evenings at 6 on West Virginia Public Broadcasting. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 7.52. Increasing cloudiness today and a chance of rain. Highs in the 40s and 50s. Chance of rain or snow tonight with lows in the 30s and 40s. Mostly cloudy skies. A chance of rain. Highs in the 40s and 50s. Support for WVPB is provided by The Wine Shop. Offering selections of wine, cheese, craft beer, and gifts located at the Capitol Market in Charleston on Facebook at The Wine Shop. Amy Ray returns to Mountain Stage on this week's Encore broadcast along with her band. We'll also hear New York trio The Lone Bellow, progressive banjo player Allison Brown, slide guitar master and banjo champion Tony Furtado, and Nova Scotia folk group Villages. This episode was recorded at the People's Bank Theater in Marietta, Ohio with guest host Larry Gross. Our song of the week is by Amy Ray Band. We listen to her performance of A Mighty Thing. It's the leading title off her 10th solo album, If It All Goes South.
performing a mighty thing on the mountain stage to hear the full performance and more tune in saturdays at six and sundays at noon right here on west virginia public broadcasting West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from Shepherd University. Our Appalachia Health News Project is made possible with support from Marshall Health. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Brianna Heaney, Chris Schultz, Curtis Tate, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Jack Walker, Liz McCormick, and Randy Owey. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.